Tuesday night on 104.5 The Zone, all-star break in Major League Soccer. It is time for a mid-season edition of the Nashville Soccer Show. Alongside Davey Shepard and Lucas Panzica, I am Will Bowling. I am so glad that Nashville has a Major League Soccer team. That way, the Premier League is my only option to consume this beautiful game. I'm so, so, so glad that I can't just root for Arsenal. You okay, buddy? Thank God. I, I really I start here because it's what Davey and I were just here, talking yeah. about. And we're gonna get into this at the end of the show as well, because I could I could go on a soliloquy and I'll we let know. I'll let yeah, I know. Well and I'll let Davey go on his as well. But <laughs> um goodness sakes. How are we? Y'all y'all are doing better than me. Yeah, so better, that's, I was that's say, better good, than better you than apparently. You. <laughs> better than you. No way around that. Um but uh listen, you, you said you're glad MLS exists, so it's not the only thing to talk about, but We've got to talk about a pretty tough result at home against Orlando we last do. week. And uh, look, I, I, I don't think it was a bad game necessarily because I think Orlando's pretty good at the end of the day. Like, I, I think they're a good team. They're very good. Uh, but it's another one. It's another it's two results two weeks in a row where I came into the game saying, hey, you know what? A draw against Orlando is not the end of the world here. That's a pretty good result. Then you see how the game transpires where Nashville easily could have been up two or three goals. And uh, it's just a tough result to take, and it's another one. How many times have we said margin for it's, error on this show? It's the, I mean, uh, we've done the same show now <laughs> five yeah. times. And it's not our fault. We're creative, enterprising, right. young uh, sports media in- individuals. But, like, uh, good Lord. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, tough one. So, I think – and, again, I think Nashville played good, and it's, I think, one where the rest is valuable after the game. I don't think it always is. I think sometimes it's good to get out there and just kind of get the wheels turning again, brush that one off. That This wasn't that kind of result for me. I think I think for this one it was just, hey, you know what? They don't all go your way. Orlando is a good side. Did they have some valuable players out? Yes, obviously. No Nani, no DK, uh, no Huan. A lot of those good players, starters for them, not in. That being said, uh, I don't think you can cry too much over this one. Right. Um but it's how it happened. It's two points dropped that are going to hurt later in the season, which, again, we've said over and over and over and over. It's the eighth set-piece goal that Nashville SC has conceded this season. And it was eighth easy. Oh, yeah. Easy. Uh, all of them have been easy. And, look, I think we thought, we assumed that when Walker Zimmerman came back, that wouldn't be as big of an issue. Not the case. There's a fundamental disconnect between what Gary Smith wants his team to do defending set pieces and what Nashville SC is doing defending set pieces. I thought Nashville was good for a lot of this first half. I thought CJ Sapong um, scored one of his more underrated goals of the season. Uh, the way uh, he kind of perfectly weighted the pass, uh, uh, perfectly weighted his touch, I should say, turning and touching that ball with the precision that CJ Sapong did is is a very difficult skill that, Look, he's continuing to show us he's scoring different kinds of goals consistently. On the counterattack, he's creating in the passing. He's scoring world-class headers off of corner kicks. Lucas, I don't know what C.J. Zappon can't do at this point. Uh, He's a natural goal scorer who's kind of revived his goal-scoring form a little bit after a little mini drought in what's been a long and very good career in Major League Soccer. It's the first time Nashville has seen a natural goal scorer at that position since coming into MLS. Can't say that about Yonder Cadiz. You definitely can't say that about Don Baji. Hani Mukhtar is a good finisher. You probably can't put him in that category. I think that's probably the best way to describe CJ Sapong, and it kind of shows what this team can do with somebody like that in that position. 
There's a lot we can get into here tonight, guys, as Major League Soccer, as we mentioned, gets to the All-Star break. We're going to do our mid-season evaluation of Nashville Soccer Club. Obviously, it is not uh, the exact halfway point of the season, uh, but it's kind of like Major League Baseball. The All-Star break gives you uh, time to take stock in what this team has done uh, and what there is yet still to do uh, over the course uh, of the coming weeks. Uh, Atlanta United at the weekend, guys. We'll get into that uh, as the show wears on today. Also, guys, we're, uh, we've got Greg Verhalter on the show here tonight. Uh, if you missed that conversation via podcast last week, we're going to play it for you in its entirety. Ten good minutes uh, with the head coach of the U.S. men's national team coming up uh, here in about ten minutes' time. Uh, but, guys, we're going to hand out some awards uh, coming up as well. Uh, the surprise of the season the disappointment of the season, and uh, our headline of the season so far. It's kind of a cliche thing to do, I'll say it, to do you know, mid-season awards, but I think it's, uh, it's still a, uh, a worthy conversation to have uh, because, like Davey said, I think we've done a lot of the, the same show and the same conversation so many times that I think stepping back from a broader perspective and not just analyzing the most recent game that we saw from Nashville SC – uh, is a valuable part of the conversation, uh, and we will do that as the show progresses here tonight. Guys, uh, looking forward, though, quickly towards Atlanta, I'm treating this Atlanta game kind of like uh, when Atlanta came to Nashville for the first ever game in Major League Soccer. The Atlanta's far down the table from Nashville SC. This is a very good Atlanta team again. Uh, this is exactly why you can't afford in the the battle of I-75, to lose to Atlanta United 2 the last time you saw them because those guys are going to get healthy and get back from international break. That's exactly what they've done. And now they're good again, and Joseph Martinez looks like the Joseph Martinez of old. I am worried for Nashville SC that this could be uh, the start of a rough couple of weeks if they do not get at least a draw uh, on Saturday against Atlanta. Yeah, I think you're nailed on there. And it's one of those ones where, uh, again, it's the same conversation. The the points earlier in the season matter just as much as these matchups later in the season. It's not like the NFL where you've got that divisional game late in the year and it all kind of hinges on that. It's just math. It's just math. And so Nashville's got to go on the road and beat a team that is firmly below them on the table. And uh, unfortunately for them, they've already dropped points against this team, against this team twice when they weren't in good form. Now they're back rolling, and uh, I think it's going to be a tough bill for this team this weekend. I, I don't know about you guys. But wouldn't it be sort of fitting for everything we've talked about if Nashville went down and got three points uh, this coming weekend? Sure would be. Sure would be. <laughs> but you talk about the blown opportunity of, of only getting two points out of two matchups. I've been saying it all year. That's what we're going to look back on at the end of the year. If Nashville misses anything by a narrow margin points-wise, whether it's seeding in the playoffs, maybe it's a playoff spot. We don't know too early to talk about that right now, but – uh, I think you have to go down and get three points just given what you did against this group when you had that opportunity on a silver platter twice early in the season. You've now created that pressure that when you play them a third time, you got to find a result out of it. I mean, you just do. I, I'm sorry. I know that their, their form's good. They've won four straight. Martinez is scoring again. He seems content again. They haven't lost in a month. You got to go down and get three points just because you weren't able to do it when the opportunity was right there in front of you for the taking two times before you put yourself in this situation, at least specifically when you look at the Atlanta matchup. Over the last five games, no one in MLS better than Atlanta United, four wins and a draw. 
So that's what we're up against. That's what's going on this weekend. And uh, look, tough bill for Gary Smith, but we've said it all year. I think they overperform against good teams. I think they underperform against bad teams. So wouldn't be shocked to see them go down there and get all three points. I think the question is going to be, what does the starting lineup look like? Uh, Do you start to see a little bit of rotation? How early does Ake Loba come in? Uh, Daniel Rios probably going to start a game soon. Uh, He's getting a lot of good minutes, looked really, really sharp in them. And uh, I I think it's going to be interesting to see where this team goes uh, over the course of the next few weeks, just like you said, Will. Here's one way that Nashville SC can uh, get a big result on Saturday. Don't put in your $6.8 million striker with four minutes left when you're chasing a goal. Why on earth is Ake Loba not getting more playing time? I could give you the answer Gary gave me post-game. Let's hear it. (laughs) So so I asked this exact question, you know, uh, what was it with with – Okay, coming in that late into the game. Um, his answer, I think fairly standard, still getting fitness, still getting sharpness. Uh, he did obviously speak to the overall quality of C.J. Sapong. It's kind of hard to, to, to move from the lineup. But I think the interesting thing, and we had a good conversation on this on uh, last week's live episode of Speedway Soccer on Thursday night, so go check that podcast episode out if you haven't yet. Um, but he talked a little bit about what he views as guys in roles. And basically that currently – he sees Ake as an off-the-center striker player. He doesn't see him as a true number nine. He thinks he's kind of got these two pockets of player. You've got Sapong, Rios, Cadiz. I think right now it's clearly in that order. Uh, and then on the others, you've got Leal, Mukhtar, Loba, kind of in, in, a, in a pot who play off the center forward. And so I think that's intriguing because from everything we know about the player, he can do whatever, right? He's got the talent to play whatever. And, and and to his credit, Gary said that as well. Gary said he has enough talent that he can play any position in any system. And so it's just right now Gary views him as that off-the-striker player. So if you're looking at the starting 11, I think what Gary's saying is he's not going to come in for Sapong right off the top in a fully healthy lineup. That's not going to be the switch. You'll see him in over Leal. You'll see him in over Mukhtar which to me makes it a little bit more flummoxing that, that he hasn't been starting because it's not like Leal's been great. He's right. been pretty no, pedestrian. He's, he's been Mukhtar's been average. great. <laughs> Over the last four or five, he's been average. He was yeah. very good for a few weeks there. He's kind of just slowed back down. So give the guy a bit of rest and start your $6.8 million player. Well, and, and why do you value – and I, I would – if Gary Smith was sitting right here, I think he would say, I value Randall's work tracking back and what he does for us defensively um, uh, too much to drop him out of the 11 for 90 minutes. But why do you value that over a guy that you paid $7 million for to score goals? You're not scoring goals in crucial moments. Roll those dice sooner than you are. I, I, I don't understand it. I, I think this team is way too cautious in integrating players into the 11 and integrating players into the lineup. We, we know it with Rodrigo Pinheiro. That's, that's not even a conversation we yeah. can have anymore. Yeah, exactly, because there's no – developing information there we know everything there is to know about that because no new information is uh has has really come out there's nothing new to analyze uh it'd be great if there was more to analyze about akeloba i don't understand it well he's he's never been one to put a player out there based on payroll or transfer fee which can be a double-edged sword right because it's on the plus side of it you know he's not going to put a player out there or start a player because he's making x amount of money regardless of what type of form he's in we saw stretches with Hani Mukhtar not in the team early in the year or not in the starting lineup early in the year as this team's highest paid player number one DP all of that 
Uh, and then it's the flip side of it where it just leaves you wanting more. It says, well, how do you know if he's not out there? And that's the part that I think that, that we kind of harp on. It's, it's how do you know if, he's, if you don't just put him out there? You're not allowing yourself to find out about Ake Loba. So I, I think if we get a couple more weeks of this, then it'll really be fair to, to just question it more and more. But the hope is on Saturday or, or just in the next 10 days or so that you finally see that trust start to manifest itself into playing time. Because how do you know what you have in him if he's not on the field? I think it's fair, um, and, and I think it might, too, guys, take a change of shape. Uh, I think it's probably a fair assumption. I think it's some kind of four four two as a second striker and because you know that Sapong is irre- Sapong's not moving out Currently, of this Currently, as lineup. is irreplaceable. No chance. Uh, he's irreplaceable in this lineup. So I, I'll push back against that idea, but I'll explain the thought because I, I thought the same thing there for a few days, and yeah. I think I've changed my thinking a bit. I mean, I, I, I think Hani Mukhtar is irreplaceable in this hybrid wing and attacking midfield role. And I don't think you can afford to make Loba and Mukhtar both be wings in the, the defensive job that needs to be done. So I, I think it would take a four-two-three-one with Sapong up top, Mukhtar at 10, Loba on one of the wings, and probably either Layal or Mwil on the other wing, where with the ball you're switching to, to more of a four-four-two, um, but without the ball... Uh, it's a four-two-three-one where Loba would drop back and play more of a defensive role. So hold on. So you're saying four-two-three-one? Yes. Sapong up top. Yep. Mukhtar and Loba behind him. Mukhtar at ten. Yes. Mukhtar at ten. Yeah. And then on the wings, you probably have Mwil and Loba. Mwil and Loba, and then or Layal and Loba. I mean, I I, yeah. I can get behind Layal and Loba. It's I just know Gary Smith's no, not going to do never going to do that. <laughs> exactly. And so to me, it's just. He's never going to do that. He's never going to do uh, Loba and Layal. Right. It, at least color me shocked if he does. Maybe at the end of the game, down two goals or something. I don't see him starting a game like that. So to me, that's what I, I had the same thought like a week ago. And at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to is Loba's either going to start over Layal or he's not. Right. And I don't think the formation matters much because I think he's either going to start over him in the four two three one, uh, or he's going to start over him in the three five two. Right. And so to me, that's what it is because, and I, I, I don't know. I think while it's really, really easy to just sit at home and say, Hey man, like we got to get another attacker on the field. Let's go to a flat four in the back and all of that stuff. Like at the end of the day, like Johnston, I mean, love in particular is like so much of the offensive creation for this good. team. <laughs> so it's a very good, so player. you can say that, but now you're losing the work that Lovitz is able to do forward. Right. Uh, and we there's so much possession ran out of Johnstone on the opposite side. Uh, like, it, I think you almost hinder the attack in a way if you switch from the three five two to a four at the back. So yeah. I, I don't think it's quite so simple as oh my god we got the six point eight million throw him on the field him and like just be realistic Gary's not going to do that. Right. It's going to be him and Wheel. So you're going to lose that you're losing one of the attackers you want on the field so bad either way. Um, so I don't think the formation matters so much is all, I, I think, my general place. It's, it's going to come down to Lobo or Layal, at least based on the description Gary gave us a week ago. It is some good problems to have because Absolutely. you look up top and say, well, he can't move him from that spot. You look at Lovitz, can't move him from that spot. You know, if you, Mukhtar, well, you can't possibly move him from that spot right now with the form he's in. So good problems to have, but that's his job as a manager. Paid $6.8 million for the man. Whenever you're chasing a goal late, then things start to come into question why wasn't he on the field? When you come up with results that you probably should have came out with three points, like the Orlando game, like so many games this season, 
that's where that issue arises. But they are good problems to have for the most part. It's a good problem to have until you continue to give up points that you have in hand at home and you're still not scoring to get those points back. I don't know if it is a good problem to have at this point because I don't think Nashville has a solution yet that's working for them, that's getting them three points at home when we've talked about how bad this team is on the road. All right, coming up next, uh, we will talk with U.S. men's national team head coach Greg Berhalter. I had the chance to catch up with him last week via podcast on the Nashville Soccer Show podcast feed, talking about uh, this player pool for the United States, talking about Walker Zimmerman uh, and what he sees in uh, the United States captain for much of uh, the Gold Cup uh, and where this team has the most talent moving forward. Uh, A couple of names that have stepped up that he specifically mentioned We'll play you that interview. We'll get into more Nashville SC and Atlanta United discussion. All coming up. Show's just getting started. You're on 104.5 The Zone. Nashville Soccer Show on 104.5 The Zone. Uh, Well, two shows, our two biggest guests. Last week, it was Major League Soccer Commissioner Don Garber. This week, U.S. Men's National Team Head Coach Greg Berhalter. Here's our conversation with the head man of U.S. Soccer. Pleased to be joined by United States men's national team head coach Greg Burhalter. Uh, Greg, really looking forward to having the United States here the Sunday before Labor Day as uh, they kick off home World Cup qualifying against Canada. Uh, I know the city is really excited. How are you? I'm doing well. How you doing, man? We're great. We're great. Looking forward to talk with you. And and I'm curious as we kind of dive into what this summer has been like and what World Cup qualifying will be like. Um, what does a normal week look for you? Uh, look like for you right now? Are are you kind of balancing scouting yourselves and scouting the Nations League, the Gold Cup, and and what you did over previous competitions as you get ready for World Cup qualifying? Or uh, do you just spend a lot of time watching your players in MLS and abroad right now? So right now we're we're at about a fifty um, fifty mix of watching our players um, perform for their clubs and then scouting um, our opponents for the upcoming qualifying window. So we, we split t- time between those two things. And it's important, you know, some of the European guys are just starting their season, so it's important to get a gauge on how they're playing and what they're doing. And then following up on some of our MLS guys and just making sure that they're in good form and um, competing well in their games. As you look back on what this summer was, obviously it's, it's one of the busier summers uh, certainly I can remember for U.S. soccer and for so many international teams with the Nations League and with the Gold Cup, what sticks out to you the most? What's the biggest thing you take away from the summer of 2021? You know, I, I think it's the, the mindset of the group. We had a really strong mindset of, of, um, of both teams that were competing in Nations League and the Gold Cup, and that makes a huge difference. You know, we, we've played Mexico, I think, now nine times in, um, in, in finals, and um, we've won three times, and two of those times were this summer. So, you know, we've made a lot of progress as a group. The, the team is strong, the team is resilient, and um, ready to compete in World Cup qualifying. Coach, it was quite a journey, right, throughout the Gold Cup. You were able to try out a lot of things throughout the tournament, whether it was shape, personnel, a very young team. And there are even moments where you guys said, you know, this wouldn't be the lineup if it were a World Cup qualifier as opposed to a Gold Cup semifinal. But then the final against Mexico comes along, and it's a final. It's against Mexico. It's largely the Mexican senior team. Was there a kind of a shift in mentality before that game, or do you think it was pretty consistent throughout the tournament? Well, you know, from day one, we got the guys together, I think, on, on July 5th. And from day one, you know, in that meeting, it was our objective is to win the Gold Cup. 
And we didn't waver from that at all. And, um, you know, there was a lot of outside narrative going around about what type of team it was, or this is only um, auditions for World Cup qualifiers. And, you know, that wasn't our message to the group. Our group, our message was let's keep getting better and put ourselves in position to win the, win the tournament. And when we get in position, take advantage of it. Coach, uh, no matter who the coach of this team was going to be, there was going to be a, a ridiculous level of expectation coming out of a failure to qualify for a World Cup. So it was going to be pressure packed no matter who got the job uh, and no matter the circumstances. But do you think the extra long coaching search maybe upped the ante even more and put even more pressure on you than there would have been in a normal, hey, three month coaching search, something like that? I don't know. You know, I, I'm not sure about that. What I do know, though, is that, um, you know, the fans are passionate and the fans want a winning product and the fans want to be able to get behind the team. And, and listen, I played for the national team for a long time and I'm a fan of the national team and I understand those expectations. So, you know, in the beginning, when, you know, when, you know, we didn't win the first Gold Cup final that we were in, when we lost some friendlies, you know, people start panicking and, you know, because the, the, all they want is the best for, for our country. And I think we all want the same thing, right? So now it's just about getting on board, getting behind the team. It's a great group of guys with I, what I think is a, a really high potential in this group and, and really bringing the energy for World Cup qualifying because we've got to get this right, man. You, I mean, you guys know we, we need to be in the next World Cup. How do you think your systems changed since you uh, first started with the U.S. men's national team? You came in with those well-drilled MLS sides who were kind of always prepared. And, uh, you know, you don't get the guys as much as you do in, say, a league. How have you had to adjust for the amount of time that you're seeing players on a weekly or monthly, quarterly basis? You know, that's a great point. And part of, um, you know, my learning curve or, or learning curve as coaching staff is just figure out, you know, how how quickly we can teach, how effectively we can teach and and, you know, what's the top level, right? What do the guys need to know at high level stuff? Because we don't have time to get into the weeds and a lot of this stuff. And a lot of it is just putting the guys in position to compete and getting, a, a, you know, good team shape. We got more aggressive with our defensive pressing, as you guys probably saw in the summer. And, you know, that's been leading to a lot of good, good ball possessions and a lot of um, getting the ball in dangerous areas. U.S. Men's National Team Head Coach Greg Berhalter with us here on 104.5 The Zone. Uh, Coach, I'm curious your thoughts on on Walker Zimmerman and the the season plus he's had in Nashville. I know we were so excited to to see a Nashville talent play for the United States, and it was so unfortunate to see him go down uh, with an injury in the Gold Cup. But since he's come to Nashville and since he's become MLS's Defender of the Year, where have you maybe seen him grow and evolve and sort of take the next step in his game? And where does he fit in this United States pool at center back? You know, so, so Walker was a guy that was there from day one in our first camp in, in January of um, 2019. And, um, you know, with the trade, we're, you know, you're unsure about how it's going to go. But what we saw is he quickly became a vital piece to Nashville. Um, huge reason for, for the success that they've had as a club. Um, you know, great defensive record that Nashville has. And he's a big part of that. You know, we know exactly what we're going to get out of Walker. He's a great leader. He's a great competitor. He's really good on set pieces, both offensively and defensively. And that's valuable for any team. Um, you know, for us, it's been fun to watch him grow into this role in Nashville. And it was great to have him in the Gold Cup. You know, it's unfortunate that he got injured in the, in the final game of the group stage. And, you know, we missed him in the knockout round. But, um, you know, fortunately, we were able to get the victory. 
Walker, Zimmerman, just one of those guys whose stock kind of rose with this Gold Cup performance before the injury, right? And you could just go down the list. Matt Turner, what a breakout performance for him on that level. James Sands, Matthew Hoppy on the wing. Miles Robinson's goal in the final. Just a cap, a phenomenal tournament. The list goes on and on. But my question is, did winning this tournament with so many young players, good problems to have, but did that make your job a lot harder when it comes to determining squads for the upcoming qualifiers? No, I think it made my job a little bit easier. Um, you know, maybe I have to have harder conversations now. Right. But, you know, whenever we're dealing with a broader player pool, you know, that's better for the coaching staff. Um, interestingly enough, you know, there was a lot of soccer played this summer, right, with Copa America, with the Euros, with the, with the World Cup qualifiers. Um, the team we played in the, in the Gold Cup final was the youngest team of any of those, any of competitive soccer in FIFA this summer. And the Nations League was the second youngest team. So we're fielding a really young team. And I think that's, that's, it was really important to get these guys' experience in the summer. And, and we accomplished that. We were, we were joking around a few weeks ago uh, when we saw the Nations League roster. And, and we consider ourselves relatively in the know here. Uh, but the idea of, uh, of Shaq Moore, we were like, Shaq Moore, I don't, I've, I've never even seen this guy on a roster before. And so he jumped out at us. Who for you is one of those guys who's right now maybe around four or five on the depth chart that you're looking at this season at the club level thinking, okay, I'm really interested to see how the next six months play out for that guy? Oh, wow. There, there's a number of guys. You know, Ricardo Pepe, I think, is a good example of a, of a young, talented player with a ton of potential. Um, you know, I was I was really impressed the whole tournament with Gianluca Buzio. Um, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, how he's going to adapt um, to Serie A. You know, just tremendous poise for a young age. You know, he came on the field in the final. It looked like he's already played in five finals. Um, so that was that that was interesting and really good to see. But overall, you know, for us, it's, it's, you know, I think Shaq is a good example of how you just keep doing your trade, man. You stick to your work, you keep performing with your club and good things will happen. And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in that no one's ever really ever out of the picture, right? Unless they retire from soccer, we're always willing to give guys opportunity based on their performance. And Shaq's a good example of that. Fun to watch. I'm going back a little bit before the Gold Cup, uh, the recruitment of a guy like Yunus Musa to the men's national team. And you're seeing a lot of that now, uh, the relationships. And obviously it's all displayed on social media, but the culture of this program right now feels more apparent than it's, it's ever been. Maybe that's because of the youth uh, and the social media and it all being in a spotlight. But just how much has the culture of this team, this program grown since you stepped in in 2018 in your estimation? You know, I can't comment uh, on what went on before me, but what I could say is that we're, you know, we're very dedicated to our vision of what we want to do, uh, changing the way the world views American soccer. And that takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of sacrifice, but that's what drives us. You know, when, when you see the guys bonding together, when you see the guys um, accepting each other and working with each other and fighting for each other, you know, that's what it's all about. And when we know that you know, part of the game is going to be played with our tactics, but there's going to be a large part of the game that's going to be played with our spirit and our mentality. Greg, last thing for you. Uh, Nashville, of course, has, has hosted United States games in the past. Of course, USA Jamaica and the Gold Cup uh, just a few short years ago. Uh, this city views this as an audition uh, for that World Cup uh, coming to the United States in, in 2026. What was your first impression of the United States uh, in that Jamaica match that you remember? And uh, is Nashville a fit for uh, for hosting some World Cup games? 
Well, one thing I know for sure is is Nashville, along with you know other expansion markets, have come in and taken MLS by a storm with, with their atmosphere, with their energy, with their um, positivity. And I think that you know you want to play soccer in in cities like Nashville. Um, you know what I remember from that semifinal is we came out all over Jamaica, and then unfortunately there was about a ninety minute weather delay. Yeah, yeah. That, that you know that. We lost a little bit of momentum, but, you know, we were able to win the game 3-1, and a good number of fans did hang around. But, you know, we're certainly expecting to see more fans in the stands, um, you know, for the game in September. United States men's national team head coach Greg Berhalter has been our guest. Greg, this has been uh, great to catch up with you. Uh, Looking forward to having you guys in town uh, in a couple uh, short weeks here in Nashville. We'll see you soon, guys. Thank you, Good stuff with uh, United States soccer head coach, Greg Berhalter. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation with him. Uh, you know, obviously we played the part of him talking about Nashville getting World Cup games last week. Uh, but, I mean, ha- had a good answer talking about Walker Zimmerman saying, you know, you're a little anxious of how that's going to go going to a new team uh, and the consistency and kind of being the foundation of Nashville SC. Obviously, everyone knows that. He's a smart guy. He knows that as well. But hearing the uh, the consistency piece, I think, bodes well for Walker's chances in this player pool moving forward. Yeah, the, the big takeaway that I loved was uh, the comment on, hey, you know, we knew we weren't going to get as much time with these guys as we wanted. So what can I do? Get them in competition with each other. And I thought that was just such a great answer because he's got this pool of guys that, I mean, I, I think he was pretty honest and, you just don't know a ton about all of them. Yeah. There's so many young guys who are at such crucial points in their careers. Even a guy like Kristen Pulisic, he's got to get regular minutes or he's not going to become who everyone thinks he can become. And so, so much to balance. What can you do when you actually have him at camp? Get them in competition with each other. The cream's going to rise to the top. I think we saw that this summer. And uh, it's, uh, you know, like we said last week, I don't know that anybody in the market's been as hard on Greg as you and I have, Will. And uh, he's knocked the expectations out of the park. So you got to give it to him. It's just funny that in, in a summer where we compared Gareth Southgate to Greg Berhalter, Gareth Southgate then went on to almost win the European Championship, and Greg Berhalter won two trophies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> both guys. I mean, hey, that, at, at the end of the day, our comparison was still correct. Yeah, it was a both, negative comparison. Were, that was actually it was just positive, a positive. But, you know, hey. We'll take it. We'll take it. So we were right. We were right. At, at the end of the day, look, that's, that's all that matters. That's the, the outcome here. Uh, all right. Mid-season. Uh, all-Star Break Awards, first time this has ever been done in the history of radio. Um, biggest disappointment. We'll start with the negative. I think it's an easy choice. Um, Lucas, your biggest disappointment for Nashville SC this year? Just in general, as far as does it have to be one specific result? So whatever you want it to be. Uh, it has to be the 2-2 the draw at home to Atlanta. Oh, far and away. That's not a direction I was going to go. But to me, uh, because that's that, a good one, actually. I mean, you talk about a game that was there for the taking. 2-2 draw where Atlanta's two goals were quite literally their only two chances of the game. The only time they even sniffed the goal or the final third or the box on those two set pieces where they scored and essentially a USL team came into Nissan Stadium and gutted out a great draw for Atlanta in one of the final games of the Gabriel Heinze era at Atlanta United. But for me, it, that, that is certainly the biggest disappointment so far of the season. It's a good one. Uh, I, I was thinking, yeah, I, I was in a different frame of mind with these, which I'll, I'll reveal in a moment, but that's a very good one. 
Because without a Joe Willis save in stoppage time either, you're talking about a loss. Yeah, and talking about a disaster that that would have been. Davey, what you got? Well, uh, to me, the easy one is Cadiz. Uh, Like, it's the most clear-cut. The guy's a DP. He's here filling up one of your three DP slots. There's a finite amount of those unless you are inter Miami. Uh, You don't have five of those available. You only have three. And so he's using one right now. He's not even making the 18. So I think that is uh, uh, just clear cut the biggest disappointment of the year. Um, and uh, I mean, I assume that's what you were going to say, Will. Yeah, yeah. I, it's Yonder Cadiz. It's Yonder Cadiz. If, if you're so in the in the purpose of all three of us saying another one, I think Pinheiro could be included right behind that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, another guy you bring in as a young DP. Now, I think that might be just. Mm, Maybe it was just unreal expect, unrealistic expectations from everyone off the top. We didn't know enough about the guy. They had intentions of him being a next-year guy all the time. But then I just go back to that interview we did with Taylor Washington at the start of the year where he said, hey, this guy takes people on. He goes right at him." And in the only minutes we've seen of the guy, it's not like he looked off the pace. Like, was he the best player in the field? No. But like, was he so much worse than... I, I I don't know. I, I struggle with that's it. what what was perplexing yeah, about right. it because he quite honestly helped spring one of those late goals against Toronto. Right, the winner. Yeah, yeah, the winner for for Luke Hawkinson late in stoppage time. So yeah, that that's what made it so perplexing is the limited sample size we've seen. It was okay, okay, let's get more, and then he hasn't sniffed the field since then. For me, the question is, what is our um, scale in which we grade Yonder Cadiz? Because if you're grading him on a major league soccer striker, he's good. He's fine. If you're grading him on the designated player scale, he's not good. Uh, in fact, him losing you a game uh, against Miami is enough reason for him to be the answer to this question. Because that's as clear cut of a chance as you're going to find. It's as clear cut of a difference you're going to get between winning and losing uh, in this league. I think Yonder Cadiz is the pick. Um, I think CJ Sapong has overshadowed a lot of the disappointment of what Cadiz has not given you this year. Uh, so in reality, it is a positive that Nashville SC has gotten a surprise from an MLS veteran to make up for um, uh, an unknown not delivering. But in a way, you talk about the major storylines and the major headlines of Nashville SC in one and a half years of Major League Soccer. That maybe is the headline, is that MLS veterans have outperformed the unknowns. Um, as far as the expectations of what you're buying and the value you've actually been given. All right, biggest surprise this season. Uh, Davey, I will uh, start with you this time. Well, I'll take the easy one again. It's CJ Sapong. Um, I, I think he's been not only, you know, probably the best performer on the team consistency-wise, though, though Mukhtar's right there with him. Um, I think he's one of the better forwards in MLS uh, in the top two or three, if not the best forward in MLS. He's been tremendous, positive guy, great influence in the locker room, does it all, works back, can link up, back to goal, front to goal, does anything you want him to do. He's been tremendous. Lucas? For me, it's the way that the narrative, at least in our conversations, has kind of flipped from last season of how at times, especially at home, this team is how free-flowing they've been and how good they've been at creating chances and getting in front of goal. And how so consistently the number one issue we talk about is defending and set-piece defending specifically. Eight of 20 goals allowed this season on set-pieces. And I have a whole other thing on that, how part of that to me is kind of a positive that that many of your goals allowed have come on set-pieces. But uh, but just the way that's kind of flipped around, because that's not what we talked about last season. Last season the floor was so high because this team was hard-pressed to give up more than one or zero goals in any given game. 
And now you're almost due for one or maybe two mistakes or set-piece goals given up in any given game. And the chances are being created, especially at home. They're free-flowing. They're confident. That, to me, is the biggest surprise how that's kind of flipped around. It certainly is. And um, that's a good answer from Lucas because that's a similar direction to where I was going to go uh, with this answer as well. I think both of you have the two obvious picks. C.J. Sapong, I'm trying to think outside the box a little bit because obviously – one of us is going to say that. Uh, I think it's the kinds of goals Nashville SC has given up. So a little bit broader than just the set pieces. I just think this team has been switched off on restarts at times. I think this team has given up a couple of really soft counterattacks. Uh, it's the kind of soft goals that Nashville SC has given up this year. And it's a, a conversation we had uh, earlier this year on the show. Nashville SC has given up more goals that you would think of an expansion team uh, versus traditionally what you would think of a second-year team that has as many good defenders that uh, Nashville SC has. Um, uh, so I think that's uh, you know a, a part of the conversation as well. Uh, a little bit surprised at the way you know this team is kind of I don't know just not. It, 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 Matt Doyle said it like week two of the season. It was spot on. Um, Nashville C wasn't giving up these goals last year. Well, let me let year. me add something to that, too, because, I mean, I don't know how many times we've already said it in the show. You're talking about, in large part, set-piece goals that this team did not give up last season. And there's been some defensive mistakes at the back, like that Atlanta game in Atlanta, where I think two defensive mistakes by guys like Zimmerman and Romney led to goals. But for the large part, eight of 20 goals given up have come from set-pieces. And I was looking into it earlier today. Uh, first of all, I was surprised at this number, that only two teams in the Eastern Conference have allowed, or I'm sorry, only one team in the Eastern Conference have allowed less goals than Nashville, and that's NYCFC who have allowed 19 to Nashville's 20. Three total in MLS when you add in Seattle and Colorado. Only two teams in the Eastern Conference have scored more goals than Nashville. That's New England and NYCFC. Nashville scored 32 goals. They're kind of up there in the mid to high 30s. Four total in MLS have scored more than Nashville. When you add in Seattle and KC, who are two of the best teams in the league, that really that, that stood out to me. I was shocked by that. But with the set pieces, 8 of 20 goals on set pieces can, can be a bonus in a way because there's not that many teams that have a luxury of having this defined weakness that when you take it away, they're probably the best team in the league in points, in goals, in, in almost every measure that you can find. And I know you can't say that you could just take away the 8 set piece. If they just fix the problem, they would give up 0 set piece goals. I understand that. But that is a very pointed, specific weakness that if this team – finds a way to fix throughout the course of this season will open up so many opportunities home or on the road in getting results that otherwise they were not getting because of set piece defending. Yeah. I just think at this point, the way Nashville SC plays, it's, it, it concerns me more just because Nashville's not a dominating possession team against good teams. So I, I don't know. I, I still don't trust Nashville to break down teams like they did on the goal of the forever for Nashville SC, uh, for yeah. Sapong. Uh, Nashville SC doesn't do enough of that to prove to me that they can afford to give up these kinds of set pieces because in playoff games, a set piece goal might as well be two goals in the way uh, the value of a set piece goal, I think, is is different in tournament knockout style play. Well, and sooner or later, like an anomaly is a trend, and then a trend is just what you are. Yeah. And I think at right. this point, they just kind of are a leaky team on set pieces. Right. And so, I mean, at 20 games in the season, there's only 12 games left or whatever, right? So uh, you got to figure it out sooner or later. But, that, but that's the one thing. That's the one that's thing the one that we thing, talk right? about. Yeah. And, and in a lot, for a lot of teams, that's a luxury. 
This team is still fourth in the East. Right now, firmly entrenched in a playoff spot where after Wednesday they were in sole possession of second in the Eastern Conference. So that that's kind of my whole viewpoint on it. Is If that can just get shored up a little bit throughout the course of the season, I mean, it's you can just think about what this team can accomplish in the postseason. You know, they're in a good spot if that can get cleaned up, and that is a spot that not many teams have the luxury to be in at this point. Quickly, guys, as we finish up the midseason conversation, your headline of the first half. Uh, and, I, and I'll start this one off. You could go a lot of different directions in this. Um, you could go with the drop points at home. You could go with, you know, it, can this team do it in the second half, largely on the road? I'm going to take it a, a, a player route. Nashville has an elite number 10 in Hani Mukhtar. And I know Davey has been on this soapbox, uh, and that rightfully so, a lot of Nashville SC fans feel like Hani Mukhtar and, and this team is hard done by by not getting Hani Mukhtar to the MLS All-Star game. My biggest takeaway is that we asked for consistency from Hani Mukhtar coming into his second year in MLS. We asked for a step forward and adjusting to this league, and he's done it. Eight goals, seven assists. Uh, He started 16 games. He's come off the bench three more times. He's been your rock offensively that Walker Zimmerman was defensively last year, and that is the reason why Lucas can rattle off these stats about Nashville and their goal scoring, and how they only have a couple of teams ahead of them in all of these categories. For me, it's Hani Mukhtar becoming an elite playmaker in Major League Soccer. Yeah, I, I think that one jumps off the page at you. I think you're dead on with it. The the thing I would say, uh, that outstanding, because for me that is top billing, but it's the C.J. Sapong effect. Last year, what were we talking about end of the season? Hey, hey you know what's going to make Hani be good? It's a good center forward. If, if Cadiz catches on, Hani's going to take off, there too. There you go. We had that exact conversation over and over and over. It didn't happen to be Cadiz. It's been CJ Sapong. The guy's been out of this world, and there you go. At the exact same time, Hani becomes the player we all thought he could become. I said before the season I thought he was going to be in the conversation for MLS Best 11. I think he belongs there. Um, I think the stats are going to show he could be there. He's not going to get there because uh, the markets are what the markets are. Yeah, he for should the same, be should for the be same reason he's not at the All Star game. Yeah. So yeah, Lucas, headline of the first half to close the segment. Mukhtar Sapong, uh, kind of the the odd couple of Nashville SC that the, just the way that that chemistry has blossomed over the course of the last month or two. It really has kind of has me taken aback. Sapong was no more than a depth piece at striker for me, a guy who's done it before in this league, an aging veteran that could help out. Guys like Yonder Cadiz, but uh, but the way he's grabbed this role uh, by storm and, and that connection with Hani Mukhtar, to me, to me that's the headline. I mean, that's I, I should have this in front of me. Mukhtar, what seven goals? Uh, Sapong eight or nine? I couldn't remember which which number that was for him. But combined, that's one of the best tandems in the league right now. It's not something I expected. When we come back, I don't know. I might just drive home during the last segment because it's it's our European segment. I have a European team. There are other leagues other than Major League Soccer. We'll go Syria. Right? We'll go Syria. Perfect. Heavy. Oh, Lucas could talk about AC Milan next on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the Nashville Soccer Show. If you missed any part of the conversation tonight, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts under the Nashville Soccer Show, under Zone Podcasts, and under Speedway Soccer as well. Also, be sure to check out their midseason recap. Uh, of Nashville SC at the All-Star break. That is available everywhere you listen to podcasts as well. Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher on the 104.5 The Zone podcast network. Saturday, it's Nashville SC in Atlanta. I will be in the building. Gentlemen. 
Uh, Looking forward to my first MLS road game for Nashville SC. The rest of the crew will be over at Fat Bottom Brewery. Yes. You knew that already. You know where to find us. $3 pitch invasions. Uh, The full crew, I think, will be there. A lot of us. Um, uh, Probably some giveaways to do. I'm not certain as to what they are right now. Nothing like our grand one we did a week or two ago. Uh, But we'll have more of those before the end of the season. And, uh, yeah, make your way out there. We'd love to see you. Lucas, Slape, Andy, myself, hopefully for a while. I have school that day, but I'm hopeful to be there too. So, uh, yeah, come see us. We love Fat Bottom Brews, what they're doing in the community, what they're doing for soccer, and uh, it's a great place to watch a game. So uh, I was told there were Premier League games over the week. What is the Premier League? Like, is that a – that's in England, right? So, look, I'll field this one. Um, obviously, Chelsea wins 2-0. Uh, pretty uh, sound result. Straightforward. Good 15 minutes for Arsenal from there. Pretty straightforward. We talked about the CJ Sapong effect on uh, Hani Mukhtar, Randall Leal. Uh, I think this season you're going to see the Lukaku effect on Havertz, on Mount, on mm. Christian Pulisic, on Timo Werner. Those types of guys are going to get better and better and better because he's a complete center forward. Uh, he can do it all, and it's really easy to sit here and say, oh, he's doing it in Serie A. No offense, Lucas. We'll talk it in a minute. <laughs> but it's easy to say that as, as people who just watched the Premier League. I mean, the guy shows up. He's got his back to goal at midfield. He's flicking people around. He's just doing all of it, man, and uh, just an absolutely sound performance. Uh, out of Lukaku, I think Chelsea's good, man. Uh, I, I had him at third you know, in my, in my preseason predictions behind City and United in the lead, Liverpool in fourth. Um, I think this weekend against Liverpool is going to be a great matchup. Chelsea had a really, really hard start to the season. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got away at Arsenal, away at City, away at Spurs, uh, or sorry, home against Spurs and then away at Liverpool. Um, I think if you can go to Liverpool and grab a, a draw, yeah, grab a draw against City and then beat Spurs and Arsenal, you're in great shape heading into the rest of the season. It's uh, it's disappointing from Arsenal's perspective. It's It's typical, though, of what, Vinger teams were against big four, big six opponents, uh, even at home. I thought Emil Smith Rowe was really good. Uh, Sambi Lokanga is really good. And Kieran Tierney, uh, I thought, was better than what people were blaming him for because I think ultimately it's Bakayo Saka without his full legs, not tracking back on the Reese James second goal. And I think it's Granite Xhaka not doing his job and covering for left back when Tierney goes forward uh, on Reese James's goal and really on the first goal as well. Uh, for Lukaku, too. Uh, I thought it was a penalty against Saka. It, it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, it, Arsenal's gotten their fair share of results against big six teams with penalties. So, you know, you're not always going to get those calls. You can't live that way. I could have seen that one either way. I wouldn't have had a huge yeah, issue either way. And I'm okay with, you know, the claim that it's probably not clear and obvious to overturn. Yeah. I just don't know. I, like, I think it's one of those 60-40 calls that it's 60 a penalty and 40 yeah, not. Um, and so, you know, as much as I complain about don't overturn it if it's not clear and obvious. I can't then say you got to overturn. Lucas Syria kicks off. Tammy Abraham opens his account. Uh, two assists, draws a red card. Uh, look, he's going to thrive there. I, I, I think he's going to thrive there for sure. And it's we talked about Lukaku, and that kind of fills a little uh, triangle. Lukaku goes to Chelsea. Zeko leaves Roma, goes to Inter Milan, and now you have Tammy Abraham goes over to Roma. Uh, look, Jose's got a pretty good little team for himself there. I, I, and I, I know I said I think they're going to win the Scudetto. I think they're at least going to make life very difficult on good teams throughout the year. Yeah, and, and Tammy Abraham, that relationship with Jose Mourinho, you saw when he got signed, that embrace <laughs> that they put out on social media. It was kind of cool to see. But, no, yeah, I'm, and I'm glad we could take uh, Will's mind off Mikel Arteta inevitably being fired at some point over the next two <laughs> weeks. Like I said to you guys, you see a headline that says, 
He's got five games to save yeah, his job. You're fired. It's over. You're yeah. fired, right? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, look, it, at Roma, I just don't think has enough. <laughs> oh, and the Braves just give Braves up a run. just lose. <laughs> Shut my man down. Shut my man oh, down. Oh, man. Oh. Well, I don't want to have to dump you over here, man. <laughs> uh, look. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. I just hate the Yankees. Ro- Roma doesn't have enough. I hate Yankees insect fans. I don't think Milan has enough uh, depth-wise. No. Uh, I think I think it's going to be interesting. Here's I mean, the big point. It, it, does Ronaldo leave Juventus or not? Because if he does, everything is back up in the air for me. If yeah. he stays there, I think Juve runs away with it probably, and it's not that tough of a uh, league. I don't know, though. He Look, he led the league in scoring last year, but he wasn't the best player in the league. It was Lukaku. Uh, the difference that's he fair. made and yeah, obviously how much Ronaldo benefits from penalties. Uh, but I, I don't know. It, Juve is going to be interesting because the Pirlo experiment did not work out. Right. And now Allegri, Allegri's I think back. they're just hoping it's just going to go right back to what it was. And it might. Uh, Juve is the most talented team in the league. There's no question. But with Inter, it's interesting because you lose Lukaku and, and Dzeko comes in. Not an upgrade. Conte out. And it's Simone Inzaghi in. Not an upgrade. I mean, Christian Eriksen out. Hakan Shalanoglu in. Certainly not an upgrade. And those are three of the biggest key pieces on their title run last year. So I think it's a total toss-up. Juventus is the favorite, but... Uh, look, I, I don't know. It's going to be one of the more fun title races in Europe, I think, this season. I'll say this. I, I think it's really, really intriguing to see these young, talented English players leaving England because they're not getting minutes and going to huge clubs in, in Italy. I think it's a great, great trend, and I hope we see more of it because those guys, for so long, English players have just stayed there, stayed there, stayed there, yeah. ended up on some mid-table team and never became what they could. Tamori, Tamori over at Milan. Now you've got Tammy at Roma. These are huge clubs with huge, prideful fan bases, and it's just going to make them better and better and better. It's going to be a fun season. Uh, on the way out, Josh Sargent gets his first two goals. Two today. goals and an assist yep. today for that's, Norway. That's in the Premier. I'm just learning about this league. That's in England, <laughs> right? Why don't we watch sports? Just, just stick to MLS, man. This skills challenge is electric right uh, now. If anyone's heading to Atlanta, hit me up Saturday. Uh, I want to see some of the people. Uh, down there in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. If you're not there, the place to be is Fat Bottom Brewery. The place will be uh, in a week is right here on 104.5. We'll do another award show next week. We'll do it live.